Hello, boys and girls. This is Steve Tripp coming to you live from the Top Strength Project, and this is the Top Strength Cast, a grit original. I am here to denounce the limitless bullshit surrounding the industry by sharing my own personal experiences and insights in an attempt to offer a more direct, sensible, and authentic approach to becoming the best version of ourselves. Other experts at the top of their fields will be joining me to cover training for and competing in strength sports along with all things muscle. It is my goal to offer as much value through this platform as possible because I believe that there is no cruise control. There is no maintaining. You're either learning, growing, and getting better, or you're going backwards. So wake up, be present, be relentless, and let's go. Hello, boys and girls. We're back. Can you believe it? This is what well, is part of the, this is the third episode of the Top Strength Cast, coming at you live from the Top Strength Project. I am your host, Steve Tripp. Uh, let's get right into it. I want to talk about training for strength versus training for size or hypertrophy. I probably shouldn't say versus because it's not like they're against each other, and there is overlap between the two, but. The, the principles and approaches and mindset and program design and exercise selection to optimize and, or basically get the most out of one or the other, they, 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 are, they are different. And um, from my observations and my own experiences, you know, as being someone that's been working out for, fuck, coming up on 22 years, I've been in the industry professionally. <laughs> that's funny to say. I've been a fitness professional for uh, 12 years. Um, it's definitely my perspective and my understanding. I just, I just feel like a lot, a lot of guys and girls are leaving a lot of gains out on the table because they're kind of like floating between these two practices. And, if, and it's not for lack of effort. It's not for um, you know, lack of commitment. It's, it's, it's you know, just for a lack of understanding. And um, I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. I think there's some some gains out on the table that people are missing out on because they don't understand these concepts. So I think this is going to be a good one. I think it's going to help a lot of people, or at least I hope that it will. Um, but we'll see. So I'm not sure how I want to do this. Do I want to? Do I want to kind of bounce back and forth between strength and hypertrophy? Do I want to do? I think what I'll do is is, a, is I'll cover strength completely talking about the the principles and approach exercise selection program design of, of what i would think would be the, the the most optimal way to approach strength training then i'll go to hypertrophy and then i'll kind of bounce back and forth i think it'll be the best way to do it hopefully that'll um be easy to digest and absorb we'll see but i'm gonna do the best i can so when we talk about strength all right strength training we're probably we are. We're referring to the competition lifts, okay? If you want to get strong, it's, it's going to be in the competition lifts. It's going to be in the squat, the bench, the deadlift for powerlifting purposes if you happen to compete or if you just want to get stronger in these lifts, which you all should, whether you're competing or not. Um, in, some previous, uh, in some previous podcasts, I've talked about how everybody, regardless of goals, regardless of age, regardless of ability, everybody should be squatting in some form or a variation of should be deadlifting, should be pressing vertically, overhead, overhead pressing, should be pressing horizontally, should be pulling vertically, and should be pulling horizontally. So when we talk about strength training, we are going to be specifically talking about 
the competition lifts like squat bench and deadlift for powerlifting, snatch clean and jerk for Olympic lifting, strongman lifts, the uh, the static lifts in strongman. You know, you have your log, you have your axle, you have your circus dumbbell, you have the deadlift, obviously, and, and different variations of, different versions of. And you have the other static lifts like loading events, like like keg and stone and all that good stuff. Um, and also, I, I would put in pull-ups and chin-ups and dips as well as movements that can be considered, you know, movements that, that you would train for strength, all right? And when we're, when we're talking about strength training, the first concept that I really think is important for you guys to understand is that strength training is, is training movements more than muscles, where bodybuilding or hypertrophy or size training is going to be training muscles with movements. So basically, when it comes to strength training, we are trying to coordinate all of the muscles involved in the movement to move the load from A to B as efficiently as possible, if that makes sense, okay? We want to coordinate all of the muscles involved to move the load, the barbell, the apparatus, or maybe from A to B as efficiently as possible. That's the way to build the most strength. And when we think about that concept, understand that strength training is essentially skill training. It's, it's skill development, right? Uh, an analogy I like to use is, you know, think about, think about strength training as, as skill development. So let's think about shooting a basketball right now. If you wanted to improve your jump shot, you wouldn't go to the gym and throw a bunch of half court bombers, would you? Because if you think about a jump shot, what a jump shot looks like, if you're throwing a half court bomber, it, it looks different, right? You kind of haul off and fucking toss the thing. And it's so far from the basket, you, you really can't rely upon, you know, the, the technique and the, and the position and the coordination that you, would, that you would rely upon inside the key or, you know, the, or for a three-point shot or a free throw, right? The mechanics of the lift are dramatically different. So even though you're, you're further away, if you were to throw a bunch of half-court bombers, it's not going to improve your jump shot, is it? How do you improve your jump shot? You're in the paint, okay? You're, uh, you're within, you're, you know, you start close to the basket and, and you start throwing some shots, you know, and every shot kind of looks the same, doesn't it? You, you have, you have your shot arm, your, um, your secondary arm that supports the basketball and you have a pattern, you know, it's a pattern and, and, and that jump shot should look the same regardless of how far away you are from the rim, right? It's a skill. It's a pattern. It's a movement. And in order to improve your ability in that movement, you need to practice sub-maximally. So you get close to the rim and you, you know, do 10, 20, 30 shots. And once you start sinking them, you take a step back. You increase the distance a little more and you improve your shot from that distance. Then you go a little further, a little further. You work some free throws. But the point that I'm making is that that jump shot, that pattern should be pretty much identical regardless of how far away you are from the rim, the basket. The same idea, the same principles, the same kind of concepts are, are applied to lifts, okay? When you are trying to improve your squat, bench, deadlift, overhead press, whatever it may be, it's, it's skill development, okay? It, it's patterning. And the reason why that concept is so important to understand is that when you hit a max or when you grind out a rep, okay, chances are pretty good 
it's going to kind of look like shit, right? There's, there's going to be some, there's going to be some breakdown in technique. There's going to be some asymmetries. There's going to be some compensatory strategies when you hit a true max. So with that being said, I would argue, and I, I think you, you could agree that when you hit a max, you're not actually getting any stronger. There is no, there is no positive training adaptation that occurs when you hit a new PR because it's not a good lift. It's, it's, it it kind of looks like shit. Yeah, you might get three whites in competition, but when you max, you're not improving your ability in that lift, okay? The way to improve your squat is submaximal work. It's practice, right? It's, it's a central nervous system-driven activity uh, that, which coordinates all the muscles involved, the prime movers, the secondary muscles, the, stabil- the stabilizing muscles, um, and, and quality practice is essential. If you, j- just like shooting a basketball, if you look at that shot, that's not quality practice. That's not going to improve your jump shot, right? Just like if you're grinding out reps all the time, hitting, you know, trying to hit new PRs all the time, that's bad practice. You're, you're essentially rehearsing and practicing poor technique, poor patterns. If you guys, you know, I'm sure you guys all follow, you know, some of the most prolific and, and decorated and, and top powerlifters in the world. And if you watch them when they compete and when they train, more often than not, it's like, hey, are they even fucking trying? And they are. But especially in their training, their training is always submaximal, right? You know, it's not, it's not super easy. It's, it's an appropriate level of intensity, but quality practice is, is, is essential in improving uh, the skill of the lift. And it's also important to take into consideration there are many other factors of these lifts, many other pieces of the lifts that will add pounds to the bar other than how much weight you're lifting and how many reps you're doing it for, right? Think about your position, your technique, your speed, your coordination, the quality of your execution. You know, all of these things, in order to be able to work on all of these things, it has to be done under sub-maximal loads, right? You're not going to be able to improve your technique, improve your position, improve your mind-muscle connection, improve your coordination under, under, under a maximal load, right? All you're doing under that maximal load is just biting down on your mouth guard and doing the best you can to pick it up, right? There's very, there's very little conscious thought under a maximal lift, so that's why the submaximal work is, is, is so important and essential in strength training. You need to conceptualize strength training as skill development. All right, and to take it a step further, you're trying to move as much weight as possible, as efficiently as possible, while creating as little tissue damage as possible, right? Which is on the opposite end of the spectrum of, of, of trying to train for size and hypertrophy because when it comes to training for size and hypertrophy, you're trying to create as much cellular damage as possible so you break down the muscle you tear down the muscle so that during your recovery when you're eating that those muscles rebuild and grow when it comes to strength training you know you want to kind of create minimal damage for one because you don't want to accumulate a bunch of central nervous system fatigue because then you can't train again or at least you have to recover before you can and 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 two you know it's 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 not it's not about tissue breakdown again it's, it's a central nervous system driven activity all right, so hopefully those concepts make sense to you. Um, additionally, when you're talking about strength training, well, before I go into this point, we, we can probably jump right into program design. So how do you structure workouts and blocks of training if your goal 
if your largest goal is to build strength. I tend to favor a high-frequency approach over your traditional bro split, body part a day type split when it comes to strength training. Um, and why is that? When I say high frequency, it's basically dividing the stimulus over multiple days. So rather than coming in and having a leg day and then doing a bench day and then doing a deadlift day and then doing an overhead press day and then doing a back day, instead, I'd rather have, you know, I'd rather squat twice a week. I'd rather deadlift twice a week. I'd rather press three to four times a week. Now, why is that? Let's go back to the basketball analogy to kind of create some context and, and concepts you can understand this idea. Would you say, I'm asking a question like I'm going to get an answer, but would you, would you say, if you could answer, that you would, what would be a better way to improve your free throw shot? Do you think you would have a, have a better time improving your free throw shot if you, shot, if you went to the gym once a week on Monday and shot 500 free throws? And then recovered for a full week and went back and shot 503 throws again on Monday? Or do you think you would create a better adaptation and improve your, your skill in the free throw if instead you did 100 shots five days a week? So the same 500 shots, but instead of doing them all in one day and having a full week to recover, we do 100 shots a day for five days. So the same 500 shots, but higher frequency, right? I think it's pretty plain to see. It's a pretty obvious answer that you'd probably develop and improve your free throw shot much better. With the second option, doing 100 shots a day, five days a week. Now, why is that? Let's think about it, okay? Depending upon your capacity and your fitness level and in, in, in the free throw, you, let's say, for example, that, that you, you're, good for, you're good for 50 quality shots, right? So the first 50 shots that we talked about in the, in the beginning all look the same. The pattern is the same. So 50 quality shots. And then fatigue will start to set in, and maybe there'll be some technique breakdown, breakdown, some fatigue. But you're good for 50, 50 solid shots, 50 quality shots that will, that will you know, arguably yield a positive training adaptation. So if you take the first example and you, you, you throw, you shoot 50, 500 free throws, you shoot 500 free throws once a week, we could say that 50 of them are solid and then 450 of them are kind of garbage. So 450 of those shots, you know, there's technique breakdown, there's compensatory strategies, fatigue limits your ability to maintain your technique. So 450 of the shots are bad practice. 50 of the shots are good practice. Now, the second option, if I do 100 shots a day, five days a week, if I'm good for 50 good shots a day, 250 of the shots are quality. We could argue that 250 of those shots in the second option are going to most more than likely yield a positive training adaptation. So when it comes to skill development, I definitely favor a higher frequency approach to a traditional body part a day or, or two body part a day bro split. But the thing is, is when you, you know, not, not all lifts are created equal, right? So when we're talking about creating a training program, creating, creating a week of training, or a block of training, it's a little more complex than, you know, shooting a free throw. Reason being, you know, not all lifts are created equal in the sense that certain lifts, you know, require more practice. Certain lifts are more um, complex. They're, they're more skill-oriented. And other lifts 
maybe have a little less skill, but they come at a greater cost. They, they accumulate more fatigue, right? So if we look at the deadlift, I would say the deadlift is on the furthest end of the spectrum where it's, it's probably the lowest skill, but the highest cost. So when, you, when, you, when you're thinking about how to improve your deadlift, I would say, unless you're a very poor deadlifter, you know, you don't need to do it all that much. There isn't a whole lot of skill necessary to effectively perform a deadlift. And it's very costly. It's going to accumulate a bunch of fatigue. So with that being said, you know, deadlifting maybe once to twice a week would be enough. Anything more than that, you know, you're probably going to create a little too much fatigue and it's going to affect your ability to progress. Looking at the squat, I would say the squat is a little more complex, a little more skill-oriented than the deadlift. It's definitely still a high-cost lift, but it doesn't cost as much as the deadlift because of the stretch reflex, right? So, um, you know, the the deadlift taxes tends to tax the CNS a little more, for one, because it's heavier, but also because it's just a concentric movement. You're You're just concentrically pulling the weight off the floor, where with the squat, you have an eccentric phase, which creates a stretch reflex and all the muscles involved and that kind of helps you out of the bottom so it is definitely a, a costly lift it definitely does accumulate a, a great amount of fatigue i think i think it probably burns the most calorie per rep but the, but there's also more skill involved in the squat so it would be beneficial to squat you know a little more often get a little more practice so i would say you know two times a week for the squat would would would, would be it would be ideal one to two times, maybe three, depending. And then when we talk about pressing, pressing's pretty low cost, especially compared to the squat and deadlift. And it's also definitely more skill-oriented. It's definitely more complex. So we're going to want to get more practice. We're going to want to get more frequency. And we're able to get more frequency because it comes at less of a cost, right? So we could press three, four times a week. But with all that being said, with higher frequency, it's so important to realize that not all of these lifts, not every, if I'm squatting twice a week, deadlifting twice a week, pressing four times a week, they're not all maximal, right? And they're probably not all the competition lift. You know, they're probably variations of. So for example, when I'm looking at deadlifting twice a week, one of my deadlift days would be more submaximal, right? It wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be working to a maximal RPE, I'd probably leave, you know, three to four reps in reserve. And it would probably be a variation of that lift, maybe like a, you know, let's, and and the variations we choose ideally would probably address our weak points in that lift. So let's say if I tend to fail my deadlifts, you know, right below the knee, let's say that's kind of my sticking point. So maybe my variation deadlift day would be pause deadlifts below the knee, you know, let's say in a particular block, it'd be five sets of three, pause deadlift below the knee. And it would be at an appropriate percentage where I probably have three to four reps in the tank. So I'm just getting some practice. I'm just getting some stimulus without creating too much fatigue. And then my second deadlift day, two or three days later, would be my competition deadlift. You know, maybe intensity's a little higher, volume's a little lower. And, you know, I'm going to push that a little harder than I do my variation. Same idea for the squat, right? Let's say if... Um, if I'm prepping for a powerlifting meet or trying to improve my capacity in the squat. For one, if I'm a low bar squatter, I'm probably going to want to 
use a more upright variation of the squat because if I'm if I'm a low bar squatter, that's a, that, that's a hinge movement. I'm already deadlifting twice a week. We don't want to hinge too much. That's a lot of work on the low back. So maybe I would do like a like a high bar pause or maybe an SSB or a front squat. So I'm still I'm still working that squat pattern, but I'm working a variation of it. And again, it's going to be submaximal. Maybe I'll do kind of higher volume, maybe something like three sets of six on day one of my program, three sets of six squat, three sets of six front squat, or three sets of six high bar squat, really focusing on maintaining a vertical pattern, knees over toes, staying upright. And then two to three days later, my second squat day would be my competition squat day, where maybe I'm doing, you know, a top double with some back offs, whatever it may be. But again, I'm, I'm kind of pushing that a little further, you know, because that's my competition. And then when it comes to pressing, if I'm bench pressing, right, I'll, I'll have my press day at the end of the week, my, my competition bench press day, but the days leading up to it, maybe, maybe my day one after my, after my, uh, my, my vertical squat, my, my high bar pause squat or my front squat, maybe I'll go into a, a soft touch bench press, kind of higher volume, maybe something like sets of eight. And again, you know, I'm leaving some reps in the tank, Right, I'm I'm not I'm not really really pushing this too hard. If I'm doing sets of eight, I probably have three four reps in the tank. I'm using comfortable resistance, and you know I'm focusing upon all the other aspects of the lift, other than how much it weighs. You know I'm I'm really focusing on my bar path, my mind and muscle connection, maintaining a really high sternum, having my legs dug my feet dug into the floor, so I have a really solid fixed position. You know being very conscious of, of, of my humoral angle and squeezing the bar and spreading the bar, bending the bar, you know, really working on all of those cues and concepts, very important cues and concepts of the bench press with this submaximal variation of the lift so that at the end of the week when I do my competition bench press, it'll, it'll be there, you know, and then maybe my second press day I could do like a, like a Larson or, or, or a Spoto or a Larson Spoto. Maybe my third bench day would be a long pause, again, all of which are done sub-maximally. There's plenty of reps in the tank. I'm not accumulating, accumulating a lot of fatigue. But I'm getting some practice, right? I'm getting some practice. I'm getting some stimulus. And that's the beauty of a high-frequency program is that I'm able to spread the stimulus out over multiple days so that I'm able to get more practice, more quality practice uh, under this structure than, than perhaps if I were to, sit, let, let's say, if I were to have a squat workout where I would do my competition squat, then go into a pause squat, then go into a front squat, then do lunges, then do leg presses. I mean, that's a great workout. That's an effective workout. But I would say I'm probably not getting as much out of my variation lifts. I'm probably not getting as much out of my pause squat, and I'm not getting as much out of my front squats as I would if I was doing them on a separate day. And also... I kind of made that point before where we're trying to move as much weight as possible, as efficiently as possible, while creating as little tissue damage as possible. I think we can understand that if I'm doing all of these squat variations in one day, I'm definitely going to be accumulating more tissue damage than if I spread the stimulus out over multiple days. So that's why for those concepts, and I'm sure there's some more that I'm leaving out, that's why I would favor a high-frequency program over a traditional bro split if I was uh, trying, if my primary goal was, was strength development, skill development, right? hope that makes sense. Um, other things to think about when you are, you know, organizing your workouts for, when you're organizing your workouts 
for strength training. The, the, those workouts are probably going to be longer duration. The, the, the sessions are going to be longer than bodybuilding. Not that you can't get a great and super effective bodybuilding session, you know, and be in the gym for two, three hours. I mean, you know, if I remember correctly, that was Arnold's approach. I think Metz, Metzler, Metzler, that was his approach, you know. And that was kind of, that's kind of my approach, too. You know, I like being in the gym. I like training for a long time. But generally speaking, your strength training workouts are going to be longer duration than hypertrophy workouts. For one, because you're, you're doing, you know, total body. You're going to be squatting and benching in the same day, you know. So, so your warm-ups, your drills, you're going to have to, you know, not just warm up your lower body, but your upper body too. Additionally, you know, during your, during your lifts, during your compound lifts, your competition lifts, you're probably going to be taking longer rest periods, right, because... You want to keep things moving, but at the same time, you want to recover enough so that you can effectively execute the lift, right? If I keep the rest periods too low, if I'm doing, you know, seven sets of three or, or, or five sets of three at, you know, 75 to 85%, I'm going to need three to five minutes in between those sets in order to recover adequately to be able to perform and execute effectively. Wouldn't you agree? So for that reason, you know, Strength training workouts tend to be a little longer than hypertrophy workouts. We're also going to be doing, you know, most likely more sets, right? Traditional bodybuilding and hypertrophy workouts would be, you know, three, four sets, eight to 12 reps. Traditionally, you know, there, there are many other rep schemes like, you know, 10 by 10, general volume training. I, I love eight by eights. Um, but, but traditionally, you're doing, you know, three, four sets, eight to 12 reps. When you're training for strength, you see these wild sets like 10 sets of two or seven sets of two or, you know, even 10 sets of one, seven sets of three. It's like, what the fuck? That's a lot of sets. Well, the reason why doing more sets is, is definitely advantageous when strength training is you get more first reps, right? The goal in strength training is to improve your one rep max. And a one rep max, you, you know, it, it's one rep. So, if I'm doing seven sets of three, that's seven first reps where I practice and rehearse walking the barbell out, setting my stance, creating my position, taking my brace, executing that first rep. So the more first reps I can get in, the better. Arguably, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? So for that reason as well, your strength training sessions may be a little bit longer than your traditional bodybuilding sessions. Um, also, you know, you, you might be doing more, more variations of each lift. Um, which, which could make the workouts even longer. Um, and again, like I said before, you know, longer warm-ups, more drills because you're, you're training total body, you're training upper and lower. So that's, that's going to take more time. Um, when we're looking at specific training blocks for strength training, you know, deload, reload, which are basically periods of where you you know, decrease volume and intensity, particularly after a peak, to give your central nervous system a chance to recover before starting the next block. You see, again, we, talk, we, we, we mentioned that strength training is primarily a central nervous system-driven activity, and our central nervous system doesn't recover, isn't able to recover as quickly and efficiently as muscle tissue is, you know, after we get a, you know, a, a sick workout, um, you know, a sick Strength, a, a sick training day or, you know, a sick bodybuilding workout where, you know, we do a back day and, 
we feel sore the next day. We feel sore for a couple of days. Muscles have direct blood flow. They, you know, they, 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 they can recover quickly. Soft tissue can recover quickly. You know, when we train, our goal is to tear down muscle tissue so that it can then rebuild and grow. And, and our bodies have the facilities to do that. Central nerve, the, the central nervous system, the, the, the neural pathways, the nerves, they break down and tear just like muscles do, but they don't have the same recovery mechanisms as the muscles do, so they take a little bit longer. And if you've ever had a long strength training block, you, you know what it feels like. Central nervous system fatigue is no fucking joke. And what's interesting, and I'm not being dramatic, it's just, it's just fucking wild. You know, you, you go through a three or four week, you know, solid training block and all of a sudden you get under 500 pounds and it feels like fucking 900, you know? Um, when your CNS is smoked, it fucks with your appetite. You, you can't eat, you can't sleep. Um, so basically when, when you're structuring training blocks for, for strength training, you basically will accumulate over the course of one, two, or three weeks, typically peak on the third or fourth week, and then take a week reload or deload where, you, where, you'll, where you'll cut back the intensity and or the volume and have kind of a lighter week to give your central nervous system a chance to recover so you can then start the next block. So that's something else that's different from strength training and bodybuilding in the sense that you know bodybuilders and, and people who are training for hypertrophy, you don't, you don't really need deloads and reloads i mean you can you can take them if you do take them it's probably every six to eight weeks if at all you know usually not in their off season but when bodybuilders are dieting before a show if they get fatigued they 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 manipulate their recovery by giving themselves more food um, or just taking an extra rest day um not because bodybuilding and hypertrophy training is, is easier, is necessarily easier than strength training. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that it's, it's a tissue-driven activity and not a central nervous system-driven activity, if that makes sense. It's, it's going to tax and put stress on the specific tissue targeted in each workout, and it doesn't cause as much damage to the central nervous system as strength training does additionally because strength training tends to be more compound lifts there are more barbell lifts more compound lifts in those workouts where not that bodybuilders and people who train for hypertrophy don't do compound lifts but you see more you see more machines you see more single joint exercises and um, isolation exercises which are great to specifically damaged tissue but they just don't cause as much central nervous system stress so they, they, they don't really need reloads and deloads as often as strength training does if at all so that's something else to to take into consideration as well try to think if there's any if there's anything else that i'd like to talk about when we're when we're, when we're discussing strength training specifically um understanding that it's skill development you know we, we're all definitely guilty of conceptualizing, you know, the the way to get stronger is to fucking grind, you know. But again, like I said, a, a grindy rep is going to have technique breakdown, and that's bad practice. Just like throwing a half-court bomber, there's going to be technique breakdown. And that's not good practice. That's, that's not going to improve your free throw shot, you know. But stepping up to the line and having perfect technique, making sure the shots all look the same, um, quality practice, that, that's what's going to improve your free throw. So um, 
hope all that made sense. I'm sure once I start talking, I approach you, I'll come up with kind of some more concepts and ideas that I may have left out. But let's go. Let's go into size training. Let's go into hypertrophy training. So, like we mentioned before, hypertrophy, size training, bodybuilding. This is a it's a tissue adaptation. We are trying to train muscles. We use movements to train muscles, but it's not so much a coordinated effort as much as we're trying to isolate and target specific tissues as much as possible to cause as much damage as possible to elicit a growth response, right? Um, and, and the most important concept when it comes to building muscle is mechanical tension. Mechanical tension is the language that muscles speak. It's the, it's, it's the language they understand. It's the, it's the language that they respond to. Mechanical tension is the key to muscular development. All right? So basically, being able to create tension on a specific tissue and maintain that tension through a full range is going to be the optimal way to build muscle. All right? Um, it's a tissue-driven activity. It's, it's a, it, you, we're looking to isolate certain tissues. So right away we can see how that's different from strength training. Not to say that a squat won't effectively build your legs, quads. Not to say that a squat won't effectively build your quads. Again, because you know when, when, when we're bodybuilding, it's like we are doing a quad exercise. We have a quad day. We want to build our quads. And we can use the squat to develop the quads. But the thing is this, right? It's not going to be a powerlifting squat. I mean, it could be, but it's probably not going to be. It's probably not going to be a low bar, hingy powerlifting squat. That's not going to be the optimal way to put as much tension on the quads if I do want to build my quads, right? Instead of a low bar hingy squat, which is which is the squat that I, I would arguably be able to move the most weight, instead I would probably, I'd probably be better suited elevating my heels, maintaining a very upright posture, and driving my knees over the toes as much as possible to create maximal knee flexion to lengthen the quad as much as possible. And then use a ton of intent and focus on the quadriceps in the bottom when they're maximally flexed and lengthened. No, 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 when, when, they're ma- when, when, the knee is, when the knee is in maximal flexion, which means the quadricep is maximally lengthened, and I'm going to consciously use intent. I'm going to feel my quad as I push into the floor and I extend the knee joint with the quad. So I'm trying to drive as much pressure and tension into the quad as possible with the squat. Now, with that being sweat, with that being said, I'm not going to be squatting in that pattern nearly as much as I can squat in my low bar competition back squat, right? So right away, we can see a bodybuilder or someone trying to train hypertrophy would be much better suited and would probably be able to target their quads much more effectively in a high bar, knee over toe, very upright squat, as opposed to a traditional low bar back squat. So there's a huge difference between strength training and bodybuilding right there, all right? Um, Additionally, to build on that point, I mentioned with strength training that we are trying to move the load, the apparatus from A to B as efficiently as possible. When it comes to building muscle, you probably would, 
You would. You, you would want to be as inefficient as possible, right? Because the more inefficient I am in these movements, the more pressure, the more tension I'm going to place through the target tissue. We can all agree that a high bar, knee over toe, very upright back squat is less mechanically efficient than a low bar competition back squat. That's why I can't move as much goddamn weight, right? Same thing when it comes to a leg press, right? If I'm doing a leg press, I'm gonna, I, I can definitely move more weight. I have more of a mechanical advantage if my feet are higher on the platform. But we're not trying to move weight. We're trying to build muscle, aren't we? So we'd be much better off having our feet very low on the platform and lowering, lowering the platform as low as we can to our chest, creating as much knee flexion as possible, and then driving through with the quadricep. That's going to create more stress on the target muscle we're trying to train. So we can kind of see how they're, they're different from one another right off the rip. Okay, so training as inefficiently as possible, intent, Conscious intent is, is, is essential. Using intent to target the specific muscle you're, you're using and, and, and use that muscle for the exercise through full range. Um, and if you're looking at strength training, right, you, if you're doing a set of five, it's, you, you kind of treat it as five singles, right? You're doing a set of five, you, 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 you squat, you come down, you come up, you lock the knees, you recreate an identical starting position as the first rep, then you go again. If I was trying to build muscle, if I was trying to create an optimal hypertrophy training adaptation, instead of separating all the reps, maybe I would kind of do them, maybe I would kind of connect them, maybe I would maintain constant tension throughout the entire set. So I would go all the way down, knees way over toes, come up, come up to about 95% of the way. I wouldn't lock my legs, but then I'd go right back down. And I do a set of 8 or 12 or 15 squats with constant tension so that that muscle is, is, is underloaded and that mechanical tension is created and maintained during that set from start to finish. Just, just, just thinking about that in your, in your mind, you, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can obviously, you can imagine how much more my quads and my legs are going to burn, you know, lever, you know, leveraging that kind of technique and that approach rather than separating each rep. Right. Another big difference is we said that uh, forced reps, grinding reps, failing reps, you definitely never want to fail reps when training for strength. Um, but forced reps uh, aren't ideal, that they're not going to yield a, a positive strength training adaptation. But forced reps, training close to or to failure or even past failure are definitely going to be the most optimal training pra- practices to build muscle, right? You, if, we, if we can take a set past failure, you know, so imagine being on a leg extension and you're cranking out your reps, you're maintaining tension, coming all the way down, lengthening the quad, and then flexing and shortening the quad and squeezing at the top as hard as you can then coming back down. And let's, go, let's say you go to just about failure, but you have a training partner who when you can't lift it on your own anymore, he'll kind of help and bring it up and then you can lower it down, and then he'll help and bring it up, and then you can lower it down. Those are called forced eccentrics or, you know, forced negatives if you're a, if you're a bro. And that's, that, that's, that's a very effective but also very interesting training approach because what a lot of people don't realize is that we are much stronger 
in the eccentric than we are on the concentric. And, and we, we, we see that in training. You may not be able to pick something up, but you can lower it with control, right? When, when we're talking about uh, a pull-up, you may not be able to do a pull-up, but I bet if I boost you up to the bar or you jump up to the top of the bar, you can lower yourself with control. So the muscles involved in these, in these exercises, they're stronger on the eccentric than they are with the concentric. So you can, you can leverage that, that kind of physiological phenomenon when you're trying to train for hypertrophy, and you can take sets actually far past failure and cause way more tissue damage and therefore even more of an effective training stimulus to build muscle, training past failure. So that's, that's, a, that's a big difference between strength training and training for hypertrophy. Program design for, for hypertrophy, I would definitely favor bro splits. You know, I would definitely favor um, a body part a day or two body parts a day. You can implement a, a higher frequency approach with hypertrophy training. Um, again, if we take into account how quickly muscles can recover. So when you're organizing training, when you're organizing your, your training weeks, your training blocks, you know, maybe you, you could... You, could, you can do arms three, four times a week. You, know, you can do delts three, four times a week. You can do pecs three, four times a week. You can do upper back three, four times a week. You probably shouldn't be training your, your lower back or like open chain rows, heavy, heavy barbell rows, you know, that, that pattern. Um, legs, obviously, you know, th- those are going to need probably at least 48, maybe 72 hours between sessions to adequately adequately recover. And it's important to recover because we can only adapt to the stimulus we can recover from. So, you know, maybe maybe just a traditional blow, uh, bro, split, bro split one body part a week isn't quite enough because, again, if I just did chest once a week, you know, my chest recovers in a day or two. So, you know, the pecs recover in a day or two, the arms recover in a day or two, delts recover in a day or two. So maybe, maybe... You know, figuring out how to how to how to how to stimulate those and work those multiple times a week would would be more beneficial. But generally speaking, a, a high a high um, uh, a traditional bro split, something like back and buys, chest and tries, chest shoulders tries, um, quads, hams, glutes. You know, a, a bro split, a split routine tends to be the the, the go to when you're talking about hypertrophy training. But like I said, again, you can, you can incorporate some, some kind of higher frequency approaches on muscles that, that recover quicker, especially if they're lagging. You know, if, if they're lagging, if you have a lagging body part, you can increase the frequency, especially if it's, if it, if it's a muscle that recovers uh, quicker. Like I mentioned before with strength training, the, these workouts can tend to be shorter duration. You know, some of the best bodybuilders of all time, like, you know, Dorian Yates, um, is definitely a proponent of super intense 30 to 45 minute training sessions. I mean, if you're familiar with Dorian Yates, he had one of the most amazing physiques, arguably one of the best physiques in bodybuilding history. And he claims he trained four times a week, 45 minutes a day, but there were super fucking intense workouts. You know, he, he would take an exercise, he would do a set or two, and then he would take it to complete failure, pass failure using those force reps that we talked about. And that just creates a ton of damage. You know, you, you can't train like that for two or three hours. No fucking way. And it causes a lot of damage. You're going to be sore for a few days. And, and additionally, when you're thinking about the optimal way to build muscle, it's like you want to get in the gym. You want to create as much damage as possible, stimulate the tissue, break down the tissue, and you want to get out. You want to rest, recover, and eat. 
and taking calories, taking nutrition, feed those feed those muscles so they can grow. You know that that kind of that concept is very very important. It's it's you're probably going to yield a better result in reference to building muscle if your workouts are more intense, a bit shorter, and you get out of the gym and eat so you can grow. So that's something to kind of take into consideration. Um, you know, workouts also tend to be in short duration because it, you know there's shorter rest periods. Um, you tend to do, and again, this isn't necessarily, but you tend to do less sets of higher volume. You tend to do three, four, five sets of eight to 12 to 20 reps, um, and rest periods are lower. And of course, when we talk about your warm up, you know, if you're just training upper body, you just, you just gotta do drills to warm up your body. You don't, you don't have to warm up your whole body like with a, with a total body strength training, um, routine. What else am I forgetting, uh, with, uh, with hypertrophy? You know, generally speaking, when, when when you go to a gym, a commercial gym setting especially, you know, the majority, if not all, the people there are training to look better with their clothes off. They're, they're all essentially bodybuilders, or at least that's how they should be training. Now, granted, not everyone wants to be huge, but that doesn't happen overnight. And I, I think that's why, this is something that I noticed, and I, I mentioned this briefly being in the podcast, you know, when I was in college specifically, I would train at World's Gym when I was home over in Seekonk. So I'd be there all summer and then I'd go to school, I'd go to Bridgewater and I'd train at the school gyms obviously and then I'd come home for Christmas break for a month, go train at Worlds and go back to school and come back for the summer. And that kind of schedule made it so that I would see the same people in the gym, you know, every day I'd go, it'd be at the same time and it'd be the same people and I would see them and then I wouldn't see them for a few months. Then I'd see them, and I wouldn't see them for a few months, and I'd see them. And what I noticed is none of them fucking changed. None of them got any bigger. None of them got any leaner. And none of them got any stronger. Why is that? Well, the, 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 the explanation, the answer to why that is, is, is literally why I'm doing this podcast, is because they're, they're kind of like double-dipping. You know, they're... They're not training for one or the other. They're kind of like doing all of it, you know? And I think the majority of you listening to this are probably guilty of this. You know, a lot of you guys and girls, you quantify or you consider a successful set. Um, you know, let's say if you're doing bench press, all right, bros, and let's say you take, let's say you do 315 for, for a set of eight, you know? And then you do 315 for a set of nine. You're like, yeah, gains. I'm getting bigger. No, no, you're fucking not, you know? Because how much when you're doing that bench press did you feel in your pecs? Probably not at all because you're trying to lift as much weight as possible for more reps. That's not, you know, if, if you guys, you know, were able to understand the training concepts that I went over when it comes to hypertrophy, that, that doesn't check any of the fucking boxes at all. Instead, I would probably consider a set in reference to building muscle to be more successful. If I did a set of eight with 315 on the bench press, but on the second set, I was only able to get six because I used a tremendous amount of intent and I really focused on lengthening my pecs as much as possible and consciously shortening my pecs as much as possible and flexing my pecs as much as possible. And instead of being able to get another set of eight, I only got six because my chest felt like it was going to rip off the fucking bone. That is a more effective training adaptation in reference to building muscle than being able to get 10 reps at 315, right? 
Um, you know, I've been asked this question a lot, like, hey, man, how many push-ups can you do? Well, my answer is I could probably do 100, but I could also probably do 20 and fail because it feels like my pecs are going to tear off, right? Because my, my, my pecs are doing all the work. Now, which, which one do you think is going gonna, is gonna to be more effective in building more muscle? The, the second one, even though I only did 20 reps, I did 20 reps with my pecs, whereas I did 100 reps with, with whatever, you know, the stimulus was spread out across all these other muscles involved, and I didn't target my chest specifically. And when it comes to trying to build muscle, it is a tissue adaptation. It is a isolating stimulus. You want to target and put the target tissue under tension, as much tension as possible, and maintain that tension through full range. And I got to say, Aside from probably not adhering to a diet, probably not being very disciplined outside of the gym, when it comes to your, your training specifically, a lot of you guys and girls aren't making any fucking gains because you're just trying to move more weight, trying to get more reps. And if you're there to build muscle, if you're there to improve your physique, it, it doesn't really matter. You're not fucking doing anything. If you're just moving weight, you have to move it with intent. You have to load the target tissue and maintain tension on that tissue. And it's probably going to be really humbling in the onset because you're not going to be able to handle nearly as much weight. You know, you may be able to bench press three, 400 pounds, but you probably can't control and create tension and maintain tension for 8 to 12 reps with more than 225, 275. And that's the bread and butter. That's what's going to build the muscle, Right. Um, I hope that made sense. I hope I, hope I explained that uh, effectively. Taking it a step further, when we're talking about exercise selection, this is where I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth between strength and hypertrophy. So when we talk about exercise selection, let's, let's, let's stick with the bench press, right? So if I want to improve the amount of weight I can bench press, I should do the bench press, right? If I want to build my chest, I mean... The bench press should definitely be in there. The, the chest is totally the prime mover of the bench press. But if we're looking at the muscles involved, if we're trying to build our pecs, right, the barbell bench press is definitely going to be kind of limiting, isn't it? So if you think about the pec, the pec itself, right, it, uh, it originates, you know, uh, at the sternum, underneath uh, the torso here on the rib cage. It comes up the sternum. So the sternal pec, the lower pec, the sternal pec, and then up around the clavicular pec, and all of these fibers that originate around this kind of semi, this is kind of semicircle, all travel across the torso, across the chest, and they all come together and grab onto the humerus. And their purpose, their their function, is to adduct the humerus, bring the humerus across the center body line. Now, if you remember, the the first point I made about Training for strength, not training for strength, I'm sorry, training for hypertrophy. It is we are trying to create tension, as much mechanical tension as possible over the full range. Now, if we look at a bench press, okay, there's some mechanical tension on the pec, no doubt. If my sternum's high and I have good position and my shoulders are back and my sternum's high, yes, there is mechanical tension on the pec. But in the bottom, when the bar touches my chest, I'm not fully lengthening the pec. Am I? I mean, granted... Our ability to go further than that is going to be dependent upon the, the individual's, you know, shoulder stability and shoulder mobility. But we can definitely lengthen the pec more with a dumbbell or a cable 
or a fly machine, we can definitely lengthen the peck more and get more range of motion with a dumbbell, cable, or machine than we can with a barbell. And additionally, on the other end, when I lock out my bench press, yes, I have adduct of the humerus. The chest is contracting, but I'm missing out on some more range, a lot more range, right? I can shorten that pec quite a bit more, get, get so much more of a contraction if I bring that, if I continue to bring that hand across the center body line, which I can't do when I lock out a bench press. So with that being said, we're talking about exercise selection. If, you, if you're looking to build your chest, I mean, the bench press should totally be in there because it's a heavy lift. So you're getting, you're probably getting the most, the highest level of mechanical tension on the pec in a barbell bench press, but you're sacrificing range of motion, which is super important, especially when you're trying to develop the pec and develop detail and striations and size. You know, range of motion is huge. You want to be able to get that muscle as long as possible and as short as possible. That is a huge component of building muscle. So you're leaving a lot of gains out on the table if you're just bench pressing for the chest. I would definitely lean more towards or definitely include dumbbell pressing for one because we can get much more of a stretch. We can lengthen the pec quite a bit more. And also when you press the dumbbells and you bring them together at the top, you're, you're definitely shortening the pec a bit more because you're getting a, a greater degree of humoral adduction. And then with the chest fly, I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the biggest stretch and the most humoral adduction, the most squeeze, because if you're doing one arm at a time or if you're crossing your arms, you can get maximal shortening, maximal humoral adduction, so you're, you're able to shorten, you're able to lengthen and shorten the pec as much as possible, but you're sacrificing load. Right, so you can't. You definitely can't. You know, fly the same amount of weight that you can uh, bench press. Um, but th- that's why they both should be in there. Um, so that, that that's kind of a an example of exercise selection when you're when you're, when you're training for strength versus uh, muscular development, size development. Same thing with let's talk about squats, right? So, and all open chain lifts, you know, bench press. Uh, open chain rows, dumbbell rows, overhead pressing, barbell pressing, squatting, deadlifting, right? There, there is, when, when you're talking about open chain exercises, open chain compound exercises, there's definitely a requisite amount of skill and competency in those lifts to be able to effectively create and maintain tension in the target muscle to optimize growth, right? Did I say that right? Does that make sense? So here's, here's a great example. So there, there, was a, there was a huge debate amongst a couple of the members of my staff here at the gym. Um, one of my uh, trainers, you know, was doing pull-ups and ended up putting a, a, a post up and saying, you know, a, a pull-up, an overhand pull-up is one of the best lat developers, and another trainer was like, fucking hell, no, it's not. It is not a good lat developer. There are much better exercises to develop your lats. And he went as far as to say that the pull-up isn't even an effective lat developer. And I definitely see both sides. So let me see if I can explain to you, to, to you, um, you know, why, why I see both sides. So if you're somebody that can execute 15, 20, 25 pull-ups, I would argue that you have the adequate skill and capacity and strength in that lift to be able to 
use the necessary amount of its intent to at the top of the lift when you when you're in the shorten when you're in the shortened range to be able to really pull the elbows through and retract the shoulder blades and really squeeze the lats and you're able to maintain tension in the lats as you lower eccentrically and then you're able to maintain tension in the lats as you concentrically complete another rep but unless you can do 15 20 or more pull-ups that's not happening i'm 270 280 pounds i can do 10 to 15 pull-ups but i'm not feeling it in my fucking lats man i'm just doing the best i can to get my chin over the bar right it's it's a strength move for me it's a skill development move for me i need to coordinate all of the muscles involved to work together to pull my big ass up to that bar. I'm not strong enough, or or I guess I'm too heavy. The load is too heavy for me to be able to use the necessary amount of intent and maintain my position to be able to create tension specifically in the lats using the pull-up to develop the lats. Does that make sense? Whereas somebody who is maybe lighter and or stronger and can do more pull-ups could create tension in the lats and use it as a lat developer. So it depends. The same thing goes for a squat, right? I'm, I'm a really good squatter. You know, I, I can squat close to 800 pounds. Um, and if I have, you know, I would say probably 60% or less on the bar, 65, maybe 70% or less on the bar, I can definitely create and maintain tension in my quads and do 8, 12, 15, 20 reps and target my quads very effectively to create a training adaptation to build my quads. But if you're not a very proficient squatter, if if you're not a very good squatter, a skilled squatter, you're just doing, it's like me in the pull-up. You know, you, you, you may be able to squat, you may, be, you, you may have a big squat, you may be, may be able to move a lot of weight, but it's a coordinated effort. It's a central nervous system stimulus. You need to coordinate all the muscles involved to move that weight where that's not going to be an optimal training stimulus to build muscle. I would definitely argue that even myself, I mean, if I'm in a leg press, if I'm within the constraints of a leg press, if my back's up against the pad, my ass is up against the seat, I'm holding on to the handles so that my my torso and hips are in a fixed position and can't move because of the constraints of the machine, and my feet are on a fixed platform, I can put a ton of weight on that fucking thing. I can create and maintain an obscene amount of tension in the target muscle from start to finish. And additionally, because I'm in a machine... That creates the opportunity, if I have a training partner, to do some forced reps. Or even if I'm by myself, I can take that to complete failure. I can't take a 400-pound squat to complete failure. I'll fucking dump it. But if I'm on a leg press, I can fucking push and push and push. And no matter how much it burns, I can keep pushing. And I can push until I can't push anymore all the way to complete failure, even if I'm by myself. And then I can dump the weight. It'll, it'll, it'll hit the bottom of the carriage. I can get out of the machine, unload it, and that is going to be the set. That's going to be, that's going to create a ton of stimulus for growth in my legs, much more than, you know, taking a, a heavy set of squat to, to eight reps and walking it in, right? Does that make sense? And then when you're looking at, you know, when you're looking at creating, you know, detail 
in, in the muscle and trying to develop specific muscles even further, you know, single joint exercises will stick, will stick with legs. If I'm doing a leg extension, right, a single leg extension even, you know, I can, I can sit in that machine. I can get at the right angle. I can get my ass buried in the seat. I can make sure that the back pad is right at the right level so that the knee is right at the pivot point, right at the fulcrum of the movement. I can set that pad right at the right spot on my shin. I can flex my toe to the ceiling. And I can really just dial right in and just focus on just isolating. 100% of the effort is in my quadricep. And I can flex, 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 get a good hard squeeze up top, take it down under control. And I can take that set all the way to or past failure within the constraints and the safety of a machine. I would argue that's going to create a much more effective training adaptation to build muscle than, than a squat or a lunge. I mean, squats and lunges are great fucking exercises. They're definitely there. They're definitely going to elicit growth, but not not as much. You, you, you can't take it as far as you can in a machine. And I don't want to say that machines are better. They, they are better in the sense that you're, you're in a position because of the constraints and the safety of a machine. You're definitely able to, to take it further and isolate better. However, bodybuilders and people training for hypertrophy still need to do or should do the compound list because it's my opinion and and a lot of others would agree that those lifts are necessary to create, you know, how do they say it? You know, bodybuilders have all these fucking weird ass terms like muscle maturity, you know, but, you know, authentic, grainy, built muscle you know a lot of the times you can see, you can look at a bodybuilder a male or female you know when they're super lean and, and you can tell you can tell like that dude fucking squats that dude fucking deadlifts and sometimes you know you look at somebody else and it's just a different look it's, it's not as dense it's not as dense of, of a look if someone is, is kind of just doing machines you know they they, they both should be in there but if you want to build as much muscle as possible in your legs squatting alone isn't going to do it um, leg press alone isn't going to do it either, but you can definitely fucking push a bit more in a leg press than you can in a squat, but they both should be in there, in, in my opinion, if, if, if that makes sense. So those are really important concepts to understand. Um, organizing your workouts, like like the order of the exercises, this, this definitely varies between, it doesn't need to vary, but it definitely is, is varied between, you know, if, you, if you're organizing a, Let's say if you're organizing a leg training session and if you're training for strength, let's say for for this particular example, you are using a split routine where you're doing a a leg day, a squat day where you're just doing legs and a bodybuilder is is also just doing legs, right? Or, or, Or trying to target his quads. Traditionally, the order is going to be, you know, you'll warm up and then you'll squat. You start with the big movement first, right? Then maybe you go to a pause squat and then maybe you go to a lunge and then maybe you go to a leg press or, or a hack squat or some type of leg machine, and then you finish up with the accessory lifts, the single joint lifts, like like leg extensions, leg curls, calves, right? That, that would definitely be a traditional run-of-the-mill leg workout. Um, and depending upon the sets, reps, rest periods, you could take that exact workout, and depending upon the sets, reps, and rest periods used, you could take that exact workout with those exact exercises in that order and really tailor it to be a strength workout or a bodybuilding workout. But what's kind of interesting um, is more often than not, 
a lot of bodybuilders actually train with the reverse order. They use what would be referred to as a, as a pre-exhaustion uh, structure, a pre-exhaustion technique, which I, which is, I think is kind of funny. I think it's funny when people say, pre-exhaust, I fucking I pre-exhausted my quads before I squatted. It's like, what the fuck is, is pre-exhaust? I mean, <laughs> if you're trying to build muscle, you're, you're here to exhaust the muscle. What the fuck is pre-exhaust? But whatever. It, it, there's really no other way to say it. It is pre-exhaustion. When, when you come into a, a training session and let's say you're doing legs and you start with leg extension, right? So you come in, you do your warm-ups, do your drills, warm up on the treadmill, get your heart rate up, do some drills, and then you get to a leg extension. And you'll do, let's say, three sets on that leg extension, two sets of 12 to 15, then take the third set all the way to fucking failure. Smoke your quads, get your quads all pumped up and juicy. Then go to hamstrings, same thing, you know, Two sets, 12 to 15 reps, then take the third set to complete failure. Now my quads and hamstrings are all fucking toned up. They feel great. I'm all pumped up. Then maybe I'll go to a lunge or a split squat, right, and uh, and, and use that exercise to, to take it a bit further, a little more complex, a little more skill-oriented, and my quads and hamstrings are already feeling great. There's a ton of circulation in them. My joints feel great because they're all pumped up, and I get some, some nice lunge work. Then maybe I'll go to a leg press, get my sets and reps in there, and then I'll finish with a squat. Right now, obviously, I'm probably not going to be able to squat as much as I could, as much weight as I could, than if I were to start with the squat. But again, we're, we're trying to build muscle here, right? We're trying to we're trying to tear down tissue. We're, we're trying to create a tissue adaptation, not a central nervous system adaptation. So that pre-exhaustion structure can be really fucking awesome when when you're looking to build muscle. Um, you know, think about an upper body system. Think 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 about think about bench pressing, right? Think about doing a bench press, but before you bench press, you do like you know, three, four, five, six sets of cable flies and just get your fucking chest just all pumped up and full of blood. Some people have, have a hard time feeling their, their chest on a bench press. I'll tell you what, you do three, four, five sets of cable flies before bench press, you're going to be feeling your pecs on the bench. Again, you're not going to be able to do as much, as much, as much weight, but you're definitely going to, going to be feeling your pecs more. You're going to definitely create a, a more, effective and optimal training adaptation to elicit a growth response than if you were to just go to the bench. Um, so th- that's kind of some things to think about when choosing exercise order. Um, you know, when, when, when you're training for strength, you're probably going to want to do the competition lifts first when you're fresh and then use variations of that lift to improve it, you know, so if I'm looking for a strength adaptation and I do my squats, say, let's say I do six sets of five at, at 70%, but on my fifth and sixth set, I noticed that my hips were shooting out of the bottom, right? Maybe then I'd go to a, a pause variation afterwards to address that, right, submaximally. And then, um, you know, let's say if I noticed a shift, if I, if I shifted left or right on the squat, I, I could address that with a split squat, and isolate each side unilaterally. Maybe I'll notice that there's a strength discrepancy, an asymmetry in, in my in my left to right legs, and, and that's why there's that there's that shift or lack of coordination. And I can use that split squat to address that. And then I can you know finish up with some accessory lifts to, to get to get some pumps, get get some blood flow in the muscle. Whereas if I'm looking to do, you know, to create a muscular adaptation, it's, it's more about feel. It's more about feeling the tissue, getting that tissue under tension and maintaining it. So like I explained before, if I do leg extensions, leg curls, maybe some adductors, abductors, leg press, lunges, and then squat, 
fuck, man, I'm going to be feeling my leg muscles in that squat. And I would say, I would definitely argue that that is probably the optimal way to create a training adaptation, to create a stimulus to cause tissue growth. Um, you know, the, the, the other order is fine as well, but it's definitely worth a shot. Um, additionally, you know, when you're looking to create tissue damage versus not, so in strength training, in strength training, usually you'll probably do one exercise at a time. You know, you'll probably, you know, do a squat, rest, do a set of squats, rest, do a set of lunges, rest, do a set of lunges, rest, do a set of leg press, rest, do a set of leg press, rest. Where if, if you're trying to, if you're trying to build muscle, you know, supersets, compound sets, drop sets, giant sets, giant sets of fucking sick, five exercises in a row targeting the same muscle. Let me tell you something. You want to put some size on a muscle. Let's say we're doing shoulders and let's say you do, uh, here's one of my favorite shoulder giants. Let's say we start off with a standing dumbbell overhead press for eight to 12 reps, then take the same weight and do a seated dumbbell overhead press for eight to 12, for eight to 12 reps. Then go to a barbell, do a standing barbell overhead press for 8 to 12 reps. Then take the same weight and do a seated barbell press for 8 to 12 reps. Then go and do lateral raises to failure. What's up, delts? They'll tell you. They're fucking screaming. What about lower body giants? Holy fuck, man. If you, if you want to do a lower body giant, let's imagine doing uh, 8 front squats, right to 8 back squats with the same weight, right to split squats, Right to leg extensions, right to lunges. Fucking right, man. Now, granted, the level of resistance is going to be very, very low, but the pumps are fucking ridiculous. And also, what's so cool about training that way is you'd be so surprised at how quickly you can tolerate more resistance. The first time you do a a workout like that, you're going to be crazy helmet. You're going to be using an empty barbell. But then the second week, you can probably slap a pair of 45s on there. The third week, you can probably do 185. The fourth week, you can probably do 225. And then you'll kind of peak, and you've, and you've, um, you know, you've adapted to that stimulus, and it's time to move on. But, but that's a great way, again, just because the tissues are under tension for an extremely long period of time. Um, drop sets for hypertrophy, fantastic, right? Doing a lat pull-down, you got 200 on there. Um, do two hundred. Do do a set of two hundred for eight, and then drop it to one fifty. Do another set of eight. Then drop it to hundred. Do another set of eight. Sick. Um, I also lo- I, I call these omni sets. Um, great way to for hypertrophy. So imagine doing a set of eight front squats, right? Do a set of eight back squats. Same weight. Same weight. You 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 can take the front squats to just about complete failure. You can probably match it with back squats. Another one I do is. Um, is lunges. So if I, I can put, you know, 135, 185, 225 on the bar, I do eight to 10 lunges each leg. I can't do another lunge. I'll probably fall on my face. But after that set of eight to 10 lunges on each leg, I can definitely do eight to 10 squats. Sick. Feels sick in the legs. It's fucking awesome. Um, when, you, when you're doing arm training, you know, when it comes to arm training, um, I definitely favor lighter arm training, super high volume. You know, he- heavy arm training just tends to fucking destroy my elbows, destroy my joints. So I tend to do really high volume. So I love doing, um, and I don't think an omniset is a real thing. I just kind of came up with that name. I have no idea why I call them omnisets. But basically, it, it's, the same, it's the same movement pattern with, with a different grip or, or a different bar position, if that makes sense. So, for example, omnisets for your arms would be imagine doing like, um, like a reverse curl. 
So taking um, taking an easy ball or maybe a, a cable attachment and doing uh, reverse curls, you can take it to fucking complete failure. You know, maybe leave a rep or two in the tank. Let's say you do 15 reverse curls, then switch your grip to a traditional supinated curl. You can probably do another 12 to 15 reps. Same thing with triceps. Supinated tricep extension, supinated tricep skull crusher. Take it to failure, all the way to failure, maybe a rep or two in the tank. If you get 12 to 15 reps supinated, you can probably do another 12 to 15 reps pronated. Um, and then you can also do strict reps to cheat reps. These are another, another ways to apply and increase time under tension for building muscle. Um, you know, imagine doing a lateral raise, like a seated lateral raise. So I'm sitting on a bench. I have the constraint of the bench, and I'm really strict. And I do 10 to 12 lateral raises. Can't do a, can't do a 13th. I get 12 reps. I can't do a 13th. If I stand up and I get those dumbbells in front of me and use a little bit of body English... I can probably get another 12 to 15, more time under tension, more tissue damage, more growth. That's another concept that, that, that came to mind. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I said that because cheat reps are a huge piece of uh, hypertrophy training, size training. You can't, you, you can't use cheat reps for strength training, you know, because there are certain, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not guidelines. There are standards. There are standards to a squat. There are standards to a bench. There are standards to overhead press and strongman. There are standards to deadlifts. You, 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 you can't use cheat reps. You know, you have to squat to depth. You have to pause bench presses. And you have to use full range of motion and proper technique in order for the lift to count. You know, if, if, you, if you bounce a barbell off your chest, it, it's a failed rep. It's so funny when someone's like, fucking bench PR. It's like, dude, that, that's a failed rep. Squat PR, dude, you're above parallel. That's a failed fucking rep. Like, what are you talking about, bro? If you're training for strength, that's a failed rep. And I'm not being a prick. I'm not trying to be condescending. I don't make the rules. That's a failed rep. But with, with bodybuilding, you know, cheat reps are, 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 are huge, um, obviously done. You know, they have to be done safely, and you probably should be somewhat advanced and proficient in the lifts in order to be able to use cheat reps safely and effectively. But... Um, you know, if you're cheating, if you're using cheat reps or using body English, you definitely need to be symmetrical. You definitely have to have good position, good bracing. But, you know, imagine doing like a lat pull down, right? So, or a better example, a cable row. So let's say you do a cable row and you're in a very fixed position and you do 10 to 12 very strict cable rows, right? You reach, let the scapula roll, protract the scapula, and then as you pull, you retract the scapula, super, super strict, no body English at all. The torso is at a fixed angle. I reach, I squeeze, I reach, I squeeze, and I take it to just about failure, maybe a rep or two in the tank. Then I can take a deep breath, and I can reach and lean forward, and then I can pull and lean back, and I can use some body English to get another 8, 12, 8, 10, or 12 reps. So now I've, I've doubled my time under tension. I've gotten more reps, more mechanical tension, more tissue damage, more growth. Um, so those are just kind of some more uh, hypertrophy concepts and approaches and strategies that definitely differ and, and definitely would not be effective if trying to improve strength in any of these lifts because in order to um, successfully complete a, left in re- a lift in reference to, to strength, there, there, there are standards that, that need to be adhered to or else it's, it's, it's a failed rep. That's just the way that it is. Um, one last thing I kind of like to dive into one last point I'd like to make, and this is kind of this is kind of a little fluffy. This is kind of a little over the top, but nutrition, uh, primarily pre-workout nutrition, uh, when you're talking about 
how it could vary or be different, um, particularly pre-workout supplementation um, when you're training for strength or training for hypertrophy. I definitely don't follow this principle because, you know, I like my, my stem, I like my pre-workout, and I like my pump products, regardless of if I'm training for strength or hypertrophy. I, you know, I'm a competitive powerlifter and competitive strongman. I definitely still want to build muscle. I definitely still want to learn, you know, look the part, and I definitely maintain a, a pretty strict diet. I don't like being, you know, more than 11 12% body fat. So I definitely kind of do both, but um, personally, so I don't necessarily follow the, these principles, but this is something to kind of think about, right? Um, when I spoke about strength training in the onset, I said that we want to create as much stimulus as possible without uh, causing, with causing as little tissue damage as possible, right? And when we're talking about bodybuilding, we want to create as much tissue damage as possible. So when talking about pre-workout supplementation, if I'm taking a pre-workout that has uh, pump products in it, pump, pump ingredients in it, like arginine, agmantine, um, glycerol, uh, whatever the new pump product is, that's going to increase the amount of fluid and, and pump in the muscle, right? Which is going to create more lactic acid, more tissue breakdown, more growth, right? Do I, do I want to do that if I'm training for strength? You know, I mean, this is, again, this is kind of, this is kind of a little advanced, maybe a little ridiculous, but you know, if you're training for strength, optimally, you probably want to create and maintain as alkaline uh, as alkaline a situation in your system as you can. Where if you're training for hypertrophy, you you may want to create as acidic an environment as possible um, in 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 the muscles and the cells. Right. So so pump products. Uh, pushing a bunch of carbs, pushing a bunch of food, trying to create as much volume and fluid and tissue breakdown in the cells as possible for hypertrophy. When it comes to so so you know you, you're using pump products and and stimulants and all that before a hypertrophy workout would probably be ideal. If you're doing a strength training workout, you know may, may, maybe maybe eliminate the pump products. You know maybe instead you know use some caffeine, use some stimulants, and maybe lean more towards nootropics, um, alpha GPC. Uh, lion's mane, you know, things that will, 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 you know, feed your brain a little bit so you can focus a ton um, on your exercise execution and all that, but without necessarily creating as much tissue damage as possible, you know, I don't know, you know, something to think about, something to consider. Um, I actually picked it up in Phil Learney years ago, and I thought it was pretty interesting, just kind of something to think about. You know, I definitely take a nice fat scoop or two or three of, uh, of a stimulant, and I definitely put some pump products in there too, um, I love the feeling. I love getting all pumped up and swollen. But you know, maybe it's not an, an, an optimal an optimal means. Maybe 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 I'd you know make a little more gains. Maybe I would recover a little bit better if if I if I lean more towards trying to maintain an, an alkaline environment in my body when when strength training. Um, just something to think about. I thought it was pretty cool. Definitely definitely thought provoking. Um, so anyway. Those are some some concepts and some and some ideas and principles in regards to training for strength specifically versus hypertrophy. Um, again, I personally do both year round. Um, obviously, as I get closer to competition, the hypertrophy work kind of comes down a little bit, and I do more of the strength work specifically. But you know, eight 
eight months out of the year, nine months out of the year, you know, I'm, I'm doing my, my heavy compound lifts, my strength training. I'm doing my barbell variations to specifically address and assess the, the, the potential weak points of those competition lifts. And then I bodybuild for another 45 or an hour, you know, every single workout. That's kind of how I train year round. I definitely do both. But my approach, my mentality, my intent shifts when I'm squatting, benching, deadlifting, working on my strongman lifts. I am trying to be as efficient as possible, as coordinated as possible, as athletic as possible, as fast as possible, right? I'm trying to be fast. I'm trying to apply. I'm trying to use power. I'm trying to move that weight as quick as possible. I mean, I'm not going to squat 700 all that fast, but I am using intent to move that weight as quickly as possible. I want to get through it as much force as possible. Boom, move, get it done. Then when I shift to my hypertrophy work, you know, sometimes I will still use speed on the concentric portion. So if I'm doing, um, let's say, let's say a dumbbell press or some higher volume bench press, I'll still press really quickly because, you know, that falls in line with a strength adaptation. But when I lower the weight, I'll lower it with control. You know, I'll kind of have a little more time on the eccentric. Sometimes I use tempo. Uh, very rarely, if at all, will I ever use tempo on the concentric phase. Um, even when I program for really anybody, uh, all my tempo work is going to be on the eccentric, and my concentric is always going to be fast. But sometimes you'll see um, in certain programs, you know, they, they want concentric on the eccentric and concentric. They, they want tempo on the eccentric and the concentric to, to increase time under tension. But um, I'd rather just do more reps with it with a time eccentric and a sharp concentric to still kind of favor a strength adaptation. But like I said, my focus, my intent when I'm doing my accessory exercises after my compound lifts, I'm trying to elicit, um, I'm trying to build some goddamn muscle. I want to I create tension, maintain tension, perhaps be a little inefficient um, and, and, and make those sets as, as long as possible to, to create as much tissue damage as possible. Does that take away from my ability to develop as much strength as possible in the compound lifts i don't know maybe but you know what to me the pros outweigh the cons because when i'm doing that high volume hypertrophy work i'm creating circulation i'm creating a pump i'm creating peripheral circulation and you know what it feels fucking great on my joints it feels great on my muscles obviously but it also feels great on my joints if i just did strength work and i didn't do any hypertrophy work i feel like and my joints fucking hurt i mean i, I think it's to be expected i don't think anyone i don't think anyone's squatting 800 and Dead up to nine hundred is gonna is gonna feel fucking great in their in their hips, knees, and back. But I can tell you that my hypertrophy work, my high volume work, along with my drills and my stretching, definitely help keep my joint pain manageable, uh, without a doubt. So that's kind of my approach. But again, th- there is there is a shift in my intent. There is a shift in my approach when I'm doing my strength lifts versus my hypertrophy lifts in the same workout. And for you guys and girls out there, you know, if, if, if you don't really care how much you can lift or, or you're, you're trying to change the way that your body looks, you're trying to, you know, improve your composition, you're trying to improve shape, you're trying to build size, um, I would recommend really trying to nail these hypertrophy principles we talked about. Stop trying to do as, as, as much weight as you can for a set of 10 on the bench press or on a row machine or on a lat pull down. Instead, Use as much weight as possible, but without sacrificing your ability to create tension on the specific 
target tissue and maintain that tension throughout the first set. It's not about doing less weight with better technique. It's about checking the box of being able to, to target and create mechanical tension in the target muscle and be able to execute the appropriate amount of reps with as much weight as possible because more weight is more tension, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm not telling you to fucking, you know, go down to 30 pounds on a lat pull down so you can really feel it in the lats. It's like learn the position, learn what you need to do to get feel and create mechanical tension in the target tissue and then do 8 to 12 to 20 reps with as much fucking weight as possible. Um, it's not less weight, proper technique. It's perfect technique, full range of motion, targeted mechanical tension with as much weight as possible. Um, and also, you know, you don't want to take every set to failure, but you should definitely, you know, if, you, if you're doing, if you're doing, let's say you're doing four to six exercises, three to five sets, the last set of most of the exercises, especially the, the machine exercises, the machine, the, the ones done in machines, um, the leg press, you know, the, the compound ones, but especially the single joint ones, take those fuckers to failure. And if you're fortunate to have a training partner, use those forced eccentric techniques to take them past failure. Um, the, the, the gains are real. It, it, there's, so, there's so much more potential um, to, to, to elicit a growth stimulus and adaptation. Um, if you're able to take certain exercises within the safety and constraints of machines to and past failure when you're trying to try, trying to build hypertrophy, and on the other side of the spectrum, when when you're trying to create a strength adaptation, when you're trying to add pounds to the barbell, guys, keep it submaximal. Okay, perfect practice. Don't add weight to the bar and sacrifice your position, sacrifice your technique, sacrifice your coordination, your symmetry, your efficiency. Um, you're going to yield a better result long-term. You're going to add more weight to the bar on game day or whenever it is you max out if you are much more conscious and and choose the appropriate amount of resistance to be able to execute these lifts perfectly. Perfect practice. Um, stop maxing out all the time. Uh, that's that. Maxing out is not is not an effective training adaptation. You're, you're you're not making gains. You're not putting pounds on the bar, and you're not getting stronger maxing out all the time. It's in the submaximal work, the sets, the sets, the eight by twos, the ten by twos, the ten by ones, the six by fives. You know that that that's the show. That's where you, that that's where you're getting stronger. Um, not when you're maxing out all the time. Okay. Um, that's it for now. I'll stop rambling. I hope that was helpful. Um, I really look forward to hearing your guys' feedback on this. Um, you know, like, like I said in the intro, it, it is definitely my goal to provide as much value through this platform as possible. And in order for me to do that, I need your guys' feedback. I need your criticism. I need to know, you know, what you think, what you like, what you don't like. And also, if there are concepts you want me to dive in on, you know, I got a lot of podcasts to do. I got to put one of these out, one out a week. So I'm going to run out of shit to talk about. So give me some ideas. What do you guys want to hear? Who do you want to hear from? Um, I already have a, a good a good 10 or 12 guests lined up and scheduled, so we have some great podcasts to look forward to. But if there's anything or anyone you guys want to want to hear about or hear from, please let me know. Comment below, shoot me a DM, whatever it may be. Um, I really, really sincerely appreciate the <laughs> the overwhelming support 
um, I've received so far from, you know, members of the gym, people who follow me on social media, um, my sponsors, um, you know, you guys really excited to hear that I was going to go through with this and that that means the world to me. It puts a lot of pressure on me because I got to make sure I do a good job. But uh, I really appreciate um, the, the support and, and really the, the confidence in me to be able to pull this off. So um, I look forward to continuing to do this. Uh, but help me out. Let me know what you guys want to hear. And let me know what you think. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great have a great rest of your day. And, and fuck, man. Keep training hard. All right. Let's get it. All right, so that just about wraps up today's episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Top Strength Cast. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Uh, if you did, in fact, enjoy it, please leave a five-star review, like, share, whatever it may be to help get the word out. We really appreciate the support. Um, and also, your, your feedback. Your feedback means a lot to me. Feel free to reach out, uh, shoot me a DM directly at StripCam or comment below you know like i said in the intro it's most important to me to offer as much value through this platform as possible and it's it's very helpful in doing that to, to get your guys feedback let me know what you like what you don't like what you want to hear um you know, i really want to provide the, the best service possible so thanks again so much for listening we'll see you guys over there and we'll see you next week for the next episode thanks again